0: today we're in better Bible study our summer series this is lesson number two it is a hermeneutical approach now you may be saying a herma who and that's okay we'll talk about that in a minute but I want to start with a fella who was a tutor in his day now I'm not talking the British monarchy I'm talking about someone who took students and taught those students. He was a tutor in his day. In fact, he tutored a very famous fella. He tutored a fella named Alexander the Great. Yes, I'm talking about Aristotle. Now, Aristotle wrote a lot of different books that we still have today they're fascinating readings uh, just recently I pulled his rhetoric off the shelf and reread his rhetoric for the first time in a while and was amazed at things that was in the, 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 that he put in the book that i had totally forgotten he had in there and one of the books that he's most famous for today is a book that is commonly called metaphysics now in this book, in actually it's book 8 of this book, buried in there is the following statement. In the case of all things which have several parts and which and in which the totality is not as it were a mere heap, but the whole is something beside the parts. There is a cause. And he keeps going on and explaining how it can stick together or fall apart and all of this kind of stuff. But look at that for a moment. The totality, as it were, is not a mere heap, but something besides the individual parts. Oh, I can give you a coffee bean, and you're not going to do much with it. I can give you a bunch of coffee beans and you're not going to do much with it. But if you take them and you grind them and you put it together, you can come up with a good cup of coffee. The sum of things is something in excess or besides what the individual parts are. Now I told you last week if you were here for week one, the Bible's not technically a book the Bible is a library the library has 66 books in it and a good portion of them 39 are in the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures and you've got uh, 27 of them in the New Testament which we do not say are the Christian scriptures why because the christian scriptures include the hebrew scriptures and if we are following the catholic tradition you've got an additional 14 books in a section called the apocrypha that would be in a catholic bible now these 66 books are something besides just the individual parts know if if you took those coffee beans and ground them up and you made a cup of coffee you would not take a sip of the coffee and say I'm really liking beans one two seven and nine but bean number three was picked a little before its day it's all together got some value Beyond what each individual piece has, even if you consider them as a group, because it commingles and it intermingles and it develops a momentum and 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 to use an engineering analogy, it's got different um, aspects to it. Now, the Bible is a collection of books, and it too has a value beyond simply each. Individual book. So we can read each individual book and study each individual book, but we need to think of all 66 as contributing to a bigger picture than they do if we look at them just individually. And that becomes most clear if we study and think about it through a hermeneutic now I told you we would define hermeneutic if we did it by Merriam-Webster a hermeneutic is the study of the methodological principles of interpretation in other words what's the method we're going to use to interpret and understand the Bible what's our principle what's the method behind which we're going to read and understand these passages and i will suggest to you this morning in your bible study you can make better sense of the bible in all of its little parts if you understand the major themes and the major storylines that are throughout the bible So if we understand major themes and storylines, then when we read individual passages and parts, our understanding will grow exponentially. Make sense? So if we are saying that, one of the things we have to ask is, what are the major storylines or themes that are in the Bible? What are these things that, that go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22? That's a good one. <laughs> so here's what we've got for us today. We're going to look at three of those. And then your homework assignment for next week is going to be to look at three more. Because there's a bunch of them. And so we want to spend some time studying and looking at the Bible as we continue to do it, not just in class, but in our homework. So with that, here are the three themes I want us to look at this morning. Theme one, the kingdom of God come among his people this is a major narrative within the the books of Scripture and so you've got wide-ranging books that have all sorts of genre of literature in them you've got books of history you've got books of law you've got books that are to do books or how to do books you've got books that are wisdom books you've got books that are prophetic speaking into the day and age but speaking of the times to come You've got books that that are instructional. You've got books that are there to build you up. You've got books that are there to help you express a torn down state and lament the problems of life. But among all of those different genres, you've got certain storylines that are running and certain narratives and themes that are consistent. And one of them is that God's kingdom is going to come down among his people bless you second theme we'll look at today God is a just God you will get that throughout Scripture and what we're gonna see we're gonna develop these themes here shortly but then also apply these themes to passages of Scripture to see how if the theme is actually in our head we will more readily perceive some insights into those passages and then the third theme a little bit different but still there is god's provision of land for his people I said what well, if you've read walter brueggemann's book land you'll certainly get a good bit of the theme though he's a Bit inadequate in how he develops it into the New Testament passages in my humble opinion but he certainly uh, uh, he does some in the New Testament but it, he really goes after it in the Old Testament okay I'm digressing sorry got up at 2 this morning to work on this PowerPoint so I'm ready for lunch let's go back the kingdom of God come among his people if you are opening your Bible you will see creation explodes into existence in the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God's creating it in the beginning, God is over it. He's the king of it it's accountable to him it is his and nobody else's if God creates heaven and earth nobody else can say well it's mine it is his he is the king and so we are not surprised to read passages like Psalm 103:19 that says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all it is his or psalm twenty-nine, ten, that says the lord sits enthroned over the flood it's uh, not referencing the old testament flood of of noah it's referencing the idea that the the ancients had a different understanding of the earth than we do And they thought that the earth existed on a bunch, whoops, that's not on, is it? Let's see, we can do better than that. You know, you've got the land and all, but it existed on water, on the deep. And that's why you could see water at the edge of the land and that's also why the water would bubble up in places springs but water would also rain down and so somewhere above the canopy of the sky are floodwaters as well and we've got this in a bunch of different sources and I've talked about this a bunch more but the windows of heaven would open as the Psalms say and those waters would come down the windows are clouds so but the the point the psalmist is making using the picturing image of its day of his day or her day is the lord is over the floods he's above it all he sits enthroned as king forever We don't really have kings that much. Oh, I know Hank has told his wife he's the king of the castle. But we don't... Hank's looking. do not put that on me. I did not say that. (laughs) And meanwhile, Miss Carolyn's just saying, call me queen. Um, We're not a monarchy in this country. And there aren't really strong monarchies anywhere except for maybe north korea and uh it looks like russia is trying to become that um but but back in the day of scripture people knew what king meant it meant all powerful bow before serve do whatever and and the point of this passage is god's the king over all of creation Now, if you think about God creating everything and being king over all creation, look what God does. God puts humanity right there into his creation. God brings his kingdom and puts humanity. God forms the man of the dust from the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. The man becomes a living creature and the Lord God plants a garden in Eden in the east and puts the man there. God's kingdom has come to humanity. God's creation has come to humanity. And God gives humanity, made in his image, responsibility in God's creation. Man, woman, humanity, men and women, have responsibility over parts of God's kingdom. And what did they do? They wrecked it. They wrecked it. And the biblical teaching is very clear on that. Genesis 3 17 says, Cursed is the earth because of you. Ha it's the ground, the earth because of you. So the earth, I mean, God's got, so what does God do? Well, Scripture makes it real clear. God always has the option of starting over. That's the story of Noah and the flood. God's option is, I mean, it says the Lord regretted he'd made humanity. It grieved him to his heart. So said, I'm just going to blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. Man, animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. An interesting passage actually in the Hebrew because Noah spelled backwards means favor. In the eyes of the Lord, Noah found favor. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But God has got... And and once we reading that story should understand... God had his kingdom made humanity his kingdom comes to humanity and humanity cursed it and ruined it and messed it all up and God could have wiped out humanity and started all over but instead he wiped out all of the evil people and took Noah who found favor in his eyes and let Noah become But the prophecy has always been, not the prophecy, the storyline has always been there. It includes prophecy. The storyline has always been there that God will assuredly reign as king among his people. And the idea is one that, uh, you know, we had uh, Tom write at the library Friday around 10, 11 in the morning. And um, no, it was Thursday night when he was speaking at the library uh, at a, an event. And at that event, uh, it was interesting because Tom noted that that historically there have been many people who think when we die, we just float off into heaven as disembodied spirits, which fits real well with Plato who was tutor to Aristotle uh, fits real well with Plato but it's just not biblical the biblical picture has always been that God's bringing his kingdom to humanity the biblical picture is not that when we die we flutter away up to some heart-playing Institute in the sky but rather that God will recreate heavens and earth And restore his kingdom to be what it should have been and we will have a resurrected body and live within that kingdom to his praise and glory the way we were supposed to he will restore what we messed up and that's the biblical promise but this is why I mean Jesus is a great example Jesus is God coming to us To establish his kingdom not calling us up to him and when Jesus comes what does he teach us to pray pray like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven your will be done on earth as it is in heaven our father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're to be praying. This, this, we've got a chance to show people in the way we live today that we are children of a coming kingdom and we can start living the way we're supposed to be living in the kingdom now because we are part of that kingdom. We just don't have the resurrected body yet. And we're not in the unaccursed earth yet. But the Bible teaches, you know, this is not the end of the story. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not the end of the story for the earth. As Isaiah 34:4 says, All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll all their hosts shall fall like leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree this whole world's going to be swept away but a new one will come in its place by the way this passage out of isaiah 34 is quoted in revelation 6 when he opens the sixth seal i looked and behold the stars fell to the sky or The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a squirrel being rolled up. Every mountain, every island removed from its place. Everything. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom... Of the glory of the children of God, what we were made for, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now this This whole earth is one. I, you can look and see it prevailing it's cursed god's not going to let us live forever on this cursed earth thank you Lord he kept Adam and Eve from the tree that would let them live forever after they'd sinned and fallen who wants to live forever like this here but creation will change it's not the end of the story for the earth and it's not the end of the story for us Paul continues and he says, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We've already got God's spirit dwelling within us confirming this change. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies will be redeemed. You're not going to be a disemboweled spirit for eternity. the saved of god will be given an imperishable body and god will have a new heaven and a new earth i can remember as a child being particularly troubled and having difficulty admitting it to god that i love to sing and i love to worship but really for eternity just doing nothing except Standing there singing pions of praise to God. I mean, I I love to do it. But is that really the destiny? And I was nervous I would get bored. And that's just the perception of a child. And I know that. And I do want to spend eternity praising God. But I've learned as I grew that part of the way I praise God is by living right under his law and word. I bring praise to my glory when I do what he or to my God praise and glory to my God when I do what he created me to do that's why the rocks and the hills can praise God because they're doing what he made them to do and we the same but it's God bringing his kingdom to the redeemed that's the power of Revelation 21 1 through 6 it's a powerful vision but look at it because this 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 biblical theme and concept is absolutely truly from the beginning of the book to the very end revelation 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and earth had passed away and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband this is this is the kingdom coming to God's people and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them he will be their people and God himself will be with them as their God the dwelling of God is with men it doesn't say the dwelling of man is with God he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes death will be no more there won't be mourning there won't be crying there won't be pain the former things have passed away And he who's seated on the throne said, I'm making it all new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy. These words are true. It's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It's done. That's not an accidental echo of Jesus's words on the cross. It's done. It's finished. It's purposeful because that's when it was done. And the resurrection is the manifestation of this. And Jesus was not resurrected as a disembowelled spirit. It was a physical real resurrection. Because we need to anticipate a resurrection. And when we understand that, we'll understand a bit more fully why God cares so much about how we treat our bodies. Because it's part of who we are. We're not something locked up inside our body. We are intricately knitted together and as we understand this theme we can begin to make better sense of parts of the Bible so for example look at uh, John 1 in the beginning remember the kingdom of God coming down among his people in the beginning was the word we know having read John before he's talking about Jesus And the Word was with God and the Word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made all of that creation all of which shows that this is the kingdom of God and God is king over it Jesus is the king of kings he's the Lord of Lords he's over all creation as God All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life, God breathes life into the lungs of man, woman. That life in Christ was that breath of life. And the life was the light of man. And it shines in the darkness. And the darkness hasn't overcome it. And John is setting this up. And if we understand the theme of God's kingdom coming to humanity, we see John setting up Jesus rightly as the King God here. It's got so much more meaning and depth as we begin to understand that biblical theme, which John absolutely understood. Or if we look, for example, at what Paul had to say in Philippians 2, 5 through 10, and we do it with this Fresh in our brain while we're looking at it. Um, Hold on, let's Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, Philippians two, five through eleven. Jesus says, or Paul says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who." who Christ Jesus though he was in the form of God didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men Jesus came down from God He's in the form of God but he brings he's bringing his kingdom to humanity and so he's born in the likeness of men and found in human form he humbles himself as a human to be obedient to the point of death even death on a cross but look what happens therefore God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Everybody's going to bend their knee to him like you would to a king. Because Jesus came to us and brought the kingdom of God to us. All that's left to do is to get everybody in. Wipe this world out. And I mean a bunch of us are going to die maybe before that happens. And there's the Bible teaches that there is some conscious awareness that we have. Before we get that resurrected body. And we do spend time with Jesus in a place called paradise. But that is not where we spend eternity. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And he will put us in a resurrection body and we will bow our knee before him and what a day that will be that is the theme of God's kingdom come among his people and as you read scripture if you'll keep that theme in your brain you'll see it in so many places the Psalms oh it's on every page but so many places It's why God does what God does because he's the king. But his objective is not to just flaunt his kingship. His objective is always to bring his kingdom to us. To dwell with us. And make us all we can be. It's tremendous. Second theme that's in the Bible. God's a just God. When I was a child of, I don't know, 40, 50 years old, (laughs) no, when I was a teenager, I started studying uh, Greek uh, when I was in high school, and I didn't come from a family that had a lot of extra money just lying around looking to spoil us kids. Uh, I started working young. Um... Uh, I mean, I I was I started working real young and I would in high school, I had a job where I made twenty one dollars and sixty eight cents a week. Take home pay because the government takes too much of your money. (laughs) I learned that in high school and. um, I would I would get that check and I would figure out what to do with it. And I was getting that check before I was old enough to date. Once you're old enough to date, it's gone. You're already spending it on, on, on women. It just, downhill from there, Hank. No, I'm joking. You tell me about it, he said. Um, now all of a sudden, Miss Carolyn's not laughing. Uh, no, there's no higher calling than, than to get to, although I do look back on a couple of those high school dates and consider it a total waste of money, having said that. Um, but a chance to take uh, I'm in so deep I'm just going to drop the shovel and get back out (laughs) but I will tell you this in high school I desperately wanted this set of books Charles Mickey I saw you in here there you are I don't know if you had these on your shelf or not but you probably did and it probably was part of what made me want these books Kittles Theological Dictionary of the New Testament this was a dictionary geared with theology built into it of the Greek in the New Testament and it was many volumes and many volumes means many dollars to buy it and I couldn't remotely afford it and I desperately wanted it and I just thought it was the greatest book in the world um one day I'm going to get that book Right now it's in the theological library, so I can go there. And you can look at it, and you can look up this Greek word decay, which I've put in red. It's in different forms. It's in dikaios, dikaiosune, dikaios, uh the verb. I mean, you, you've got it in, in a number of different forms. But it's rooted in this idea of just. Justice is in it. Righteous is in it righteousness is in it justly as an adverb is in it you can find it used for a number of different things but it's the if you put the letter a in front of it it means unjust so you've got all of this different stuff wrapped up in this word DK and and it's all because it's such an important biblical word Our God is a just God and that theme and Truth is found throughout all of Scripture and we are urged not only to never forget it But to absorb it and See it every time we see Scripture it's one reason that the fear of the Lord means fear of the Lord Because he is a just God. And that can be a fearsome thing. All things considered. But not totally. So just hang on with me for a moment. Here's what happens if you look up DK. It'll talk about it in the Old Testament section. It says the concept of law is expressed by a series of terms which are used not merely... For relations of God to humanity and humanity to God but also for the conduct of God and man as determined by these relations God is a just God if you go back to the very early pages of Genesis you've got the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and God goes to Abraham and says you might want to go get your lot uh, nephew out of of Sodom because I'm about to destroy it God says and and Abraham says oh no 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 don't do that because there may be righteous people in there wouldn't be right to destroy it if there are righteous people in there wouldn't the judge of all the earth do what is just you God are the judge of all the earth you're a just Judge. why can you wipe out a city with righteous people in it just because some of them aren't righteous. God says, okay, you find 50 of them righteous. I won't wipe it out. Then Abraham starts thinking about it. He says, when I'm 50, is a pretty big number. What about 40, 30, 20? Uh, go give me 10. And ultimately, I mean, he didn't go through all those layers, but the idea is there. And ultimately, there aren't righteous people there save Lot and his family, bad pun. And so Lot and his family come out. Uh, his wife looks back. That's... Uh, she was assaulted um, that's pillar talk anyway shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just god is a just god when god's giving the law through moses in leviticus nineteen thirty six, he says you shall have just balances and just weights a just ephah, a just hen, those are measurements. Because I'm the Lord your God. I'm a just God, so don't cheat people. You be just. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, The rock, God, the rock, His work is perfect. All His ways are justice. Just. A God of faithfulness, without iniquity. Just. And upright is he. God is a just God. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 17 1 says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. God is a just God. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. You can trust God the just god to be just Deuteronomy 16:20 says justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you because he is a just god now i told you you can make better sense of parts of the bible by understanding the major themes and storylines god's a just god uh We got a problem. We got a problem. And if you don't recognize that a just God creates a problem for us, your problem is pride. We got a problem, fans, because we're not just. And this is Paul's point. In Romans 1 through 3, if we understand and read Romans 1 through 3, understanding that God is a just God. If you've got a just judge calling you to court and you are guilty, you got a problem. Paul says, and I don't have time to go through all of it. But look, for example, at Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you know what that word is? That's one of those DK words. Hang on, this pen writes good. That's one of those DK words. It's just got that letter A in front of it. But that is A, DK, is the the, the verb it was yeah close enough that's when you'll remember it the unjustness of men God's judgment comes on the unjustness of men who by their unjustness suppress the truth I mean he keeps he keeps going through it he talks about all of the problems they've gotten all that they they do and and some of them are like horrible look they have things like envy nestled right there next to murder in fact listed before murder there are some people who aren't envious at all and I really envy that trait (laughs) murder strife deceit maliciousness gossips he's putting that up there slanderers Haters of Gody insol- God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And they know that God's just decree it's the DK word. He's a just God. God's just decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. I mean, we got a problem. Um, you know it it goes on and on and on i mean you you get to chapter three and paul says in chapter three that we are unrighteous none is righteous not one nobody He's quoting the psalms there god is a just god not one of us are just and that's a real problem it's a real problem because god is a just god we want that kingdom to come down and be with us it's a kingdom of justice and its citizens are just citizens fortunately we can be justified. And that is where Paul is headed in this Romans, as we get to Romans three twenty-one. Yeah, There it is. But now, the righteousness, the justness of God has been manifested apart from what you do, apart from law even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it i mean this is all over the old testament he's saying the righteousness of god the justness of god that comes through faith in jesus christ for all who believe because everyone is sinned everyone has fallen short of the just god but everyone can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption in jesus christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, here's the problem Paul's addressing. How can a just God forgive unjust people and still be just? Oh, you go to a kangaroo court with an unjust judge. And he'd say, yeah, you're guilty, but I'm going to let you go. But if the judge is just, which God is, how does a just judge let people who justly deserve to die, how does he declare them not guilty? By taking that penalty on himself. By paying that price of death himself. And that's what Jesus did. So that God could be just and Make us just when we have faith in Christ Jesus. So this shows God's righteousness or DK justness at this present time. So he can be just and he can be making us just or justifying us. Consistently. And that theme of God as a just God is one. Oh, it goes all the way through. Revelation 15, 1 through 7. Whoa, what a passage. What a passage. You're saying, well, I don't read Revelation. Okay, but read this passage. Sometime I'll teach on it and and help you get through Revelation without having a headache. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Amazing seven angels with seven plagues which are the last for with them the wrath of God is finished and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and to those and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps in their hands this is before the creation of the new heaven and new earth that happens in chapter 21 they sing the song of moses the servant of god and the song of the lamb saying great and amazing are your deeds o lord the almighty just and true are your ways god is a just god you alone are holy all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts that is the word just as well it's just translated righteous your righteous acts, your just acts, have been revealed. And goes on from there. All right, we've got four minutes because I gotta go. So um, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna do God's provision for the land of His people really fast. So buckle your seatbelt. Did you know God creates land? It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Haerets. This is a Hebrew word for land. It's the word translated Earth here. You can translate that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the land. God makes land. Do you know what He does with it? He plants an incredible garden. And then he takes humanity and says, "I'm putting you in the land. You're going to live and work the land." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there He put the man he'd formed what he did he told them, I'm putting you there I want you to work it and I want you to keep it Genesis 2 15 now the problem is the land gets cursed and the people are even worse and so God strips the unholy people of their land that's the flood you can read the flood through the theme of the land And find some beautiful nuggets. God says, behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the land. To destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the land will die. God's going to clean the land. And he blots out every living thing that's on the face of the land. Man and animals, creeping things, birds of the air. They're blotted out from the land. All that's left is Noah and those who are on the ark. Land's part of the promise to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And he says, to your offspring, I'll give the land. And he makes a covenant. To your offspring, I give the land. And the offspring get balled up in Egypt for hundreds of years. But then God sends Moses and says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Flowing with milk and honey. God says, and if the people of the land, he even calls them people of the land. If the people of the land close their eyes to the man that gives uh, when he gives one of his children to Molech, And don't put them to death, then they're in trouble. People are tied to the land. Don't make yourselves unclean by any of these things. See, the reason I'm driving these nations out and putting you there is they've become unclean and they've made the land unclean. The land is unclean. God created a clean earth. We got it cursed. People's unrighteousness got so bad, he had to wash the land clean of them. He gives land to Abraham and he gives him land from people who polluted the land. And then in Leviticus 18, he says, but you're going to keep my statutes and my rules and do none of this stuff. Because the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations. So the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out, which the land winds up doing. As Isaiah 24 said, the earth, the land, same word, has, lies defiled under its inhabitants because they've transgressed the laws. Isaiah 25 says God will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the land. For as the new heavens and the new land I'll make, Shall remain before me, says the Lord, so your offspring are. Now, this gets to be really interesting. When you see the theme of the land, you wonder about passages like Luke 23:44, where God, in the sixth hour, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, puts darkness over the land while this deed finds its culmination. Something worth chewing and meditating on there. Let's do your points for home and give you your homework. And then I got to go get ready for Psalm 84. First of all, let's live as children of the king. He's the king. We're his children. And let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Say, well, I'm not. look, no, I'm not talking about rejoice because of how good you're living. I'm talking about rejoice because of who your dad is. You're a child of the king. Don't let anybody dissuade you otherwise. I don't care how you're living in terms of that title. Well, I mean, I do. It brings reproach on your father and all the rest of that mess. But I'm just saying, you're the child of the king. And live the righteousness of God. God is a just God. Let's live that way. Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? God justifies us, but let's live justly. And that includes trusting in the providing God. The God who provided land provides for us. We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pain of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption in Christ. So, I want you to look at more themes this week. Look at some passages. Look at some themes. Here's your homework. Your assignment is, what are the biblical themes of the remnant? Look at the biblical theme of remnant. Look at the biblical theme of spiritual warfare. And look at the biblical theme of a love story. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let me bless you in Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, just God, King of kings, we jump for joy that you would justify us, that you would give to us such gifts, that you would give us the hope of living eternally with you in our midst. Father, freshen our minds Give us better understanding and joy in the journey. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.